0: Hey, good morning, EBF. Uh, If you've been with us the last uh, month or two here at EBF, then you know our church is presently in a state of transition. Uh, Last Sunday, our lead pastor of 14 years, Jason Lancaster, preached his final sermon for EBF, and we had a great time last Sunday afternoon celebrating Jason's ministry, thanking the Lancaster family for all the contributions that they have made to our church over these last 14 years. That means that today is our first Sunday without a lead pastor, and the elders are busy working on plans uh, for conducting a search for our next lead pastor. But in the meantime, we're really blessed here at EBF with a number of people in our congregation who are well qualified to uh, share the Word of God with us and fill the pulpit on Sunday mornings. And so for the next several months, uh, we are going to be having a team of speakers from within our church stepping up to preach on Sundays. Some of these speakers are elders at our church. Some of them are staff members and apprentices, and some are just godly men who have a heart to serve our church. All of them are well qualified and are eager to preach, and uh, the elders are confident that you are going to be blessed by their ministry to us over these next few months. Now, Jason had started in the last six weeks or so preaching through the book of Ecclesiastes, and that was a great set of sermons, and Ecclesiastes is a great book. But as great a book as Ecclesiastes is, it's the kind of book that would be really hard for a team of speakers to preach through and interpret consistently if they haven't already worked through it together. So we made the decision to discontinue that Ecclesiastes series and to step into a new series on the book of 2 Timothy instead. So we're shifting gears a little bit. And uh, 2 Timothy is a great little letter. It gives us all kinds of wisdom and practical lessons learned from Paul's lifetime of service and ministry. Today I'm going to be introducing the context for the book, and then uh, our talented team of speakers will be preaching through 2 Timothy from now until the students return to Northwestern in September. So that's the plan for the preaching, all right? But before we jump into today's sermon, I feel like I need to give you a little bit of a warning about what's about to take place. The book of Acts and Paul's letters and the traditions of the church fathers give us a lot of information about the historical figure of Timothy. He was Paul's closest traveling companion and the recipient of First and Second Timothy, these letters that bear his name. Now, rather than present all of that information to you from the perspective of a detached, detached observer in the third person, I'm going to try something a little bit different today. All right, I want to tell you the story of Paul and Timothy from within the story, from a first-person perspective. Now, I'm not an actor by any means. I'm not wearing any sort of costume except for the sandals. So you're going to have to use your imagination a little bit But in just a second, I'm going to pray, and when we finish our prayer for the rest of the sermon, I will be speaking from the perspective of the historical figure of Timothy. So we're not going to be turning all over the Bible today as we uh, do this sermon, but I want to assure you that this is a heavily researched sermon, and it contains pretty much everything that we can glean about Timothy from the New Testament. So sometime this week, if you want to go read the second half of the book of Acts And uh, maybe use a Bible concordance to look up all the references to Timothy and Paul's letters. You could kind of reconstruct this for yourself. But for today, why don't you just sit back and enjoy getting to know the man that Paul called his dear child and beloved co-worker in the faith. All right, let's pray. Father, on this Father's Day, we give you thanks and we rejoice in the reality that in Christ Jesus we have been made sons and daughters of God and you truly are our heavenly father i pray for the dads in this room lord may their love and instruction and correction accurately reflect the character of god to their children and today as we look at the story of paul and timothy god we're talking about a relationship that paul many many times calls a father and son relationship would you give us the creative imagination to step into their world to feel the emotion, and may their story inspire us. Amen. The time for my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I' have finished the race I have kept. I have kept the faith. Well, guess this really is the end. It's not like it's surprising. If I had a Denarius for every time that man was thrown in prison. How many times was Paul put on trial with his life on the line? I bet even Paul himself lost count. He was always telling us to live is Christ, to die is gain. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. That's far better. No, we knew this time would come. Still, a letter like this means it's time for goodbye. I remember... I remember when we first met. This was, man, 17, 18 years ago. Bags under my eyes were a lot smaller back then. Feels like an eternity has passed. All the things we've done, all the places we've gone, the stuff I've seen. And yet I can still remember when I met Paul, just like it was yesterday. I had heard about him before I ever met him. Actually, he was kind of famous in my hometown. See, I'm from a pretty small place. It's off the beaten path. It's a little mountain town called Lystra. I'm guessing you haven't been there, have you? Well, let's, let's see. If, if the province of Asia were a mitten, Lystra would be right there, right? about 150 miles northwest from Tarsus and about 250 miles inland from here where we are today in Ephesus on the coast of the Aegean. Lystra is a pretty simple place. It's a small town. Not a lot happens there. But a few years before I met Paul, back when I was just a kid, Paul had caused quite a stir in that city. It's a pretty crazy story, actually. See, there was this guy in our town. He had been lame for as long as anyone could remember. Never walked. His legs just didn't work. And this guy was sitting there. He was listening to Paul talk and teach. All of a sudden, Paul stares right at the guy and says, stand up on your feet, get up." Well, people thought Paul was crazy. Is he making fun of this guy? What does he think he's doing? Then the guy gets up and he actually starts walking. Well, you don't see something like that every day. A layman, a man who was crippled who had never walked, suddenly gets up and starts walking in your presence. Now in Lystra we had traditions about the gods coming and visiting us in the form of men. So when Paul and his buddy Barnabas came to our town, and we saw this miraculous healing, and this crippled man started walking, a lot of people in Lystra started getting the idea that maybe Zeus and Hermes had come to pay us a visit. In fact, the priest of Zeus even brought oxen into the town for everybody to offer a sacrifice. Paul always got a kick out of that part of the story. This short, bald, physically unassuming leather worker getting mistaken for a Greek god. (laughs) I mean, me, you know. Maybe, but Paul, (laughs) I've never seen a statue of Hermes that looks anything like that guy. Anyway, once this man was healed the people were coming trying to worship Paul and Barnabas. And when Paul found out about that, and he thought, oh no, they're trying to worship us as gods, he actually rushed down into town. He tore his shirt. He was so upset. He started screaming at people to stop worshiping him, to turn from these vain sacrifices, and to start worshiping the true and living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. And that was the day that the church was born in Lystra. So Paul was famous in my hometown, and I had heard about him through the folks in my church. Then, a few years later, after Paul had healed this crippled man, about three years after that, I was maybe 16 years old, okay, so just a young man, I was minding my daily business, and this friend from church comes along and tells me he wants me to go with him, because he's got some people he'd like me to meet. I go with him. He introduces me to two people. This man named Silas, who was from Jerusalem. I hadn't heard anything about him before. And then Paul, this guy I had heard so much about, the founder of the church in my city, this miracle worker, a man that I knew had previously been pelted with stones in Lystra for the sake of the gospel. I was a little bit starstruck. See, Paul and Silas had come to town because they wanted to pay a visit to this church that Paul had planted from a few years before, but more than that, they had some really important news that they wanted to deliver from the elders of the church in Jerusalem about a decision that had been made for how Gentiles could take some steps to be a part of the church. That was actually the really big issue back then. Really, if you think about it even right now, it's the big issue that we're facing. Under what terms Can Gentiles be included in the people of God? Do they have to get circumcised and become Jews? Or can you be a Gentile and a Christian at the same time? Those are actually pretty complicated questions. See, we Christians, we claim to worship the God of Israel. And we want to say that Jesus of Nazareth, he is the Messiah. Well, that's a very Jewish concept. In our message, our gospel that we proclaim is a very Jewish message. See, we preach that by virtue of the resurrection, Jesus has been made the king with all authority in heaven and on earth, and presently he is reigning from a seat of heavenly authority. And one day, he's going to come back in judgment and establish his kingdom on earth, set things straight. And so we call on all people everywhere to repent and to start living their lives in allegiance to this Jewish man from Nazareth. Well, do you have to be a Jew to do that? That was the question. For me, it was a very personal question. See, my mother had become a Jew at some point before Timothy, uh, before Paul had come and planted the church in Lystra. And so whenever she became a believer and joined the church, she did that as a Jew. My dad, on the other hand, he was a Greek through and through, and he wasn't a part of the church. Now, if a man like my dad had to become a Jew in order to become a part of the church, well, how do I say this? It's really not easy for a man to become a Jew, if you know what I mean. You know what I'm talking about, circumcision. If a Greek man like my dad needed to get circumcised to become a part of the church, well, that's a pretty huge obstacle for us to evangelize Greek men. So it was personal. And, I mean, this might be a little too much information, but even me, myself, back then, I was a believer. I wanted to think that I was fully committed to Christ, that I'd give whatever it would take to follow Him. But... Yeah, it's probably too much information. But back then, I, I wasn't circumcised myself. So there was a lot on the line for me with this decision from Jerusalem. Well, it can be hard to separate out what's cultural from what's biblical. And for us, it seemed like a complicated issue. But the, the elders in Jerusalem had made a decision that they felt like God has made his will clear. And Paul and Silas were there to tell us that decision. See, God had given the Holy Spirit to Jews and to Gentiles alike simply through faith in Jesus Christ, apart from circumcision. So Gentiles could join the church as Gentiles. They didn't have to get circumcised. I thought I had dodged a major bullet with that one, all right? But then Paul and Silas hit me with a proposal that was going to change the course of my life forever. Paul pulled me aside and asked me this question. Would you want to come with us and help us deliver this news to the other churches in the area where you're from? Paul and Silas wanted me to join them to become a member of their team as they went on this journey. Kind of like an apprentice. Quite honestly, I wasn't sure what to think about that. Part of me was scared. Paul, Silas, those guys were both my dad's age. These were grown men from big cities, Jerusalem, Tarsus. I was just a 16-year-old young man from Podunk, Lystra. Furthest I'd ever traveled in my life was Iconium. It's maybe 25 miles away. It's a pretty small city itself. But back then, to me, Lystra was small. Iconium felt like a metropolis. The thought of leaving my family, my home, everything I've ever known, and then going to all these churches and cities I'd never been before. That was a big step of faith. It was kind of scary. People where I'm from, we don't, we don't just up and leave very often. And then on top of that, you had the whole circumcision issue. See, the decision from the elders in Jerusalem had made it clear that a Greek man like me didn't have to get circumcised in order to be a part of the church. But Paul and Silas, they felt like if I was going to join them as a leader and visiting all of these predominantly Jewish congregations and teaching and instructing those congregations, well, I probably needed to put some foreskin in the game. <laughs> I should choose to get circumcised. Not, not out of any sense of obligation for my salvation. It's not about that. But simply for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. You know, when I was weighing the pros and cons of this decision, that would definitely line up in the con column. You know, having to make this very painful personal sacrifice really to accommodate the cultural heritage and, quite frankly, the prejudices of my Jewish brothers in Christ. That was the decision. Stay in Lystra or pay a price to go with Paul and Silas. What would you have done if you were in my shoes? Would you have said yes to the call? It was a big decision. What would it take for you to leave behind everything and everyone you've ever known? For me, I suppose it came up to this. What price was I personally willing to pay for the sake of the advancement of the gospel? Was anything off the table? I said that Jesus was my Lord, but just how much did I mean that? Really, what was the cost I was willing to pay to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? See, because I knew, deep down, I knew God's will was for me to go with Paul and Silas. Those men saw something in me. The church that I was a part of, they they had affirmed my character. Paul, Silas, the elders of my church, they had affirmed my gifting and God's calling on my life for me to be an evangelist. So I knew God's will, it was for me to go. And that meant for all the pain, for all the uncertainty, for all the things I knew I'd have to give up and the very uncomfortable experiences I knew I would have to experience. Ultimately, I needed to say yes to Paul because really I wasn't saying yes or no just to Paul and Silas. I was saying yes or no to God. Didn't know what the future would hold. There was a lot of uncertainty for me in that. And yet I knew, whatever the cost, I needed to take that step of faith and join the mission. 18 years ago. And I got to tell you, it cost me more than I ever could have imagined. And yet I can stand here today and tell you, I don't regret it for a second. It was the best decision I ever made in my life the places I've gone, the lessons I've learned, the front row seat I've gotten to sit in as I've watched God do immeasurably more than I ever could have dreamed of seeing back when I was just a 16-year-old in Lystra. It's been quite the ride. I could sit here and tell stories for hours. My mind is just flooded with experiences. Let me see if I can just hit the high points when I first joined Paul and Silas, they had me mostly learning through observation. I just kind of took a back seat and watched as they took the lead. And we visited churches all the way up through our region until we got to Troas. After we were there for a little bit, we went and we planted a church in Philippi. And in Philippi, Paul and Silas were doing ministry for a few months. And then there was a mob that rose up in the town. Paul and Silas got thrown in prison. Eventually, they got out of prison, and we hit the road. We went over to Thessalonica. Things didn't go much better there. We lasted in Thessalonica about as long as a New Year's resolution before a bunch of folks drove us out of the city. And the people in Thessalonica were actually so hostile that they chased us down in Berea, and Paul had to go all the way down to Athens. So, hadn't been with Paul for even a year, and already he'd been put in prison once, Attacked by a couple of mobs and driven off all the way to a completely different part of Greece things had gotten off to a pretty rocky start And that's when I started to take on by necessity a little bit more of an active role in the ministry Paul was off the scene and so Silas and myself we were kind of stuck in Berea and Thessalonica Trying to figure out what to do to help support the church in those regions we ministered there for a few months then we received word from Paul that he wanted us to come down and visit him in Athens. We started making that journey. We got to Athens only to find out that Paul had moved on again, this time to Corinth. So we just kept on going and went to Corinth. And Corinth is where I really started to get some good ministry experience under Paul's supervision. He had me do more of the preaching and teaching. And we were there in Corinth for about a year and a half. It was a great season of ministry as we were planning the church in that city. After that year and a half... Silas was getting a little homesick. He was from Jerusalem. He'd been gone for quite a while. Paul wanted to talk to the elders of the church in Jerusalem and also wanted to visit his sending church back in Antioch. So we decided we were going to leave Corinth. We sailed across the Aegean here to Ephesus. And then from here in Ephesus, we sailed down to Palestine, to the port in Caesarea, and hiked the rest of the way to Jerusalem. Boy, that was a long journey. It's well over 1,000 miles This was, what, about 15 years ago? Three years after I had joined Paul and Silas in their mission. When we got to Jerusalem, Silas was comfortable just staying there. He wanted to stay at home for a little bit. Paul and I, we wanted to get back on the road. So we went up to Antioch, visited the Sending Church, and then we came back over here to Ephesus. And there was some ministry we really wanted to do in this city. We stayed here in Ephesus for three years. That was an incredible time. God did some amazing things. We saw miraculous healings. We saw demons being cast out of people. The believers here in Ephesus, they were bold in their faith. They were committing themselves to Paul's teaching and doing very public things like burning their magical books just to show their commitment to Christ. I was getting experience as a teacher. I was building relationships. Had Paul's influence and model there to learn from. And after about three years in Ephesus... Paul decided to give me a little bit more responsibility. He decided that I'd watched him through observation. I had learned from his example. I had gained some experience under his encouragement and support and supervision. So he gave me a commission. He sent me on to Macedonia and to Greece. And there were really two things I was supposed to do at that point in time. This was about 12 years ago. First, There were all kinds of sticky theological issues and pastoral relational situations that needed to be worked out in Corinth and to some extent in Thessalonica too. So he sent me to those cities just to take the lead in some of those conversations and to work through some of the messiness in those churches. But even more than that, we were working on a really big project. So the second thing I was supposed to do was essentially fundraising. We called it The collection. And we had this big vision behind it. The idea was, if we could take up a collection from these predominantly Gentile churches in places like Philippi and Thessalonica and Corinth, and then we could take that and give it as a gift to the churches in Judea, Jerusalem, Caesarea, those kinds of places, then maybe that could be a way of bridging the gap between the Jews and the Gentiles in our movement. See, I told you there were lots of tensions there, there were a lot of hard things to figure out. We thought maybe if we give a gift from the Gentile churches to the Jewish churches, that could be a way of easing some of the ethnic tensions. So we really worked hard on this project. We actually spent several years raising these offerings. And about 10 years ago, we took the gift and we sailed back down to Palestine. We brought it to the church in Jerusalem. Maybe you know the rest of the story. Things didn't turn out in Jerusalem like we had hoped. We hadn't been there for more than maybe a week. Paul was in the temple. All of a sudden, he got arrested. The Romans took him, kept him from getting beaten to death by an angry mob there in the temple. Then he was put on trial in front of the Jewish Sanhedrin. There was a plot against Paul's life. And so the Roman. Uh, Soldiers made the decision to send him up to Caesarea. Once Paul got to Caesarea, he stayed there for a couple of years in prison in Caesarea. He went through a series of trials there, and eventually Paul came to the conclusion that he needed to appeal to Caesar. And so the Romans sent him all the way to Rome. He got to Rome, spent another couple of years under house arrest. So from that point that we arrived in Jerusalem, Paul was a prisoner for about five straight years. I stuck with him that whole time. That was hard. We had so many things, so many ambitions of the places we wanted to go, the ways that we wanted to advance the gospel. And Paul was in chains. We couldn't go anywhere. It was lonely. But we did have a lot of time on our hands. So we wrote a few letters to the churches in the places we really want to visit. Then, about five years ago, eventually Paul was set free from his house arrest in Rome. That was the last time I saw him. We parted ways. Paul, he's always going. He wanted to keep on pressing forward, advancing the gospel further to the west. Last I had heard, he was going towards Spain. Me, I decided to come back this direction to the east and put down some roots. Like I said, I've been here in Ephesus about five years. Kind of leading the churches in our region. A lot of people have started calling me the Bishop of Ephesus. When I think back to all those trips that I took with Paul, (laughs) sometimes, honestly, I don't know how we even did it. We traveled literally thousands of miles and we did it one step at a time. No horses, no chariots. Those are for Roman bureaucrats and other government officials. We didn't even have pack animals. Every time we got one of those a Roman soldier would just take it from us. No. All we had was our bags and our feet. 20 miles a day From dawn to dusk, just walking down lonely Roman roads. We were just trying to stay dry and warm and safe. You had to watch out for bandits, wild animals. A lot of time on your hands. We're just walking, sleeping under the stars most nights. Talking, reflecting, praying, debating about God, Christ, the churches, the collection. All that travel really became a metaphor for life for us. We started calling our movement the Hadas, it's the way. We talked about walking in the footsteps of faith, walking in newness of life, walking by faith and not by sight, walking not according to the flesh, but the spirit. I guess we did so much literal walking that we couldn't help see all of life as a journey. What I wouldn't give for one more walk with Paul. That man was like a father to me. He saw a potential in me. He took me along, let me learn from the model that he set. Then he started giving me responsibility, let me flourish under his wing with his encouragement and support and accountability, protection. And then he commissioned me and gave me an important work to do and sent me out. The man I am today, it comes from the man he was for me. I hope that you have a Paul in your life. Somebody who does for you what Paul did for me. I'm so glad that I said yes to the call of God on my life all those years ago back when I was just a 16-year-old in Lystra. God has been so good to me. I've built friendships. I've seen God do big things. Most of all, I've really known Christ. I mean, intimately. Really, I've gotten to know Him. And I've had a front row seat to watch God work in this world through the church in ways I never could have imagined. Hasn't been a cakewalk. Like I said, I feel like I've had to give every ounce of who I am. It's worn me out. It's been exhausting. The price is high. You know, in this letter, it's kind of funny. Paul puts it pretty bluntly. I see. He says, "Everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted." I think that's putting it mildly by my experience. I've been beaten by enemies, betrayed by friends, thrown in prison, mocked by onlookers, mobbed by people in cities. When I've been on the road and I've been traveling, I've been lost at sea, shipwrecked, hungry, thirsty, cold, on the run from people who are determined to take my life. And yet, and yet, if we... Die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, then we will reign with him. The momentary troubles of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Paul was always telling us that. I don't know what price. God might want you to pay for the sake of the gospel. What cost, what things you might have to give up to respond to his call. But I can tell you this. Whatever the cost, it's worth it. Because you cannot put a price tag on a front row seat to God's work in the world. When it comes to your energy, your comfort, your time, your money, your relationships... Say yes to the call of God upon your life because take it from me. I've given up everything and I've gotten way more in return. You cannot put a price tag on what you'll experience there. Front row seat to God's work in the world. So, anytime, any place, anything that God asks you to do, please just say yes. Well, I guess I better get going. Let's see. Uh, Paul wanted me to bring his cloak and some parchments. I need to track down Mark. We're going to have to find a boat that we can get on to sail over towards Rome. Uh, You take care. And remember say yes to the call of God on your life. You won't regret it. God bless.